Well, I read a survey this week. It said 41% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. I know I did. Uh, I'm curious how that stacks up with, with us. First service was very disappointing. <laughs> hey, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Did you make a New Year's resolution this year? We are not quite 41%. <laughs> I don't know how to say this. We are, we are below average harvest. The same survey said of the 41%, only 8% actually keep the resolution. See, that's where they get you, right? Like, like, it's one thing to make a list. It's one thing to have some goals. It's the whole thing called follow through that makes it a little bit harder. 8% of like the, the 20 of us who, who raised our hand, that's, that's not very good. It's kind of depressing. Hey, here's a list. Top 10 New Year's resolutions. Number one, stay fit and healthy. Two, lose weight. Number three, enjoy life to the fullest. That sounds nice. Number four, spend less, save more. Number five, spend more time with family and friends. Number six, get organized. Try to do that this week. Number seven, learn something new, like, like a new hobby. Number eight, volunteer and help others. Number nine, travel more. Number 10, read more. Hey, maybe a couple of us have goals like this for this year, but Harvest, I, I have something so much better. In fact, I've got two things. I have two things that are, that are so much better, and it's obvious that, that many of us need something to do this year. <laughs> two things, and actually two promises from Jesus. It's so much better than organizing your closet. Like, like I did that this week. It's helpful. It's not, it's not life-changing. Two promises, two things that you need to be doing this year. Grab your Bible, open up to John 14. John chapter 14. These are two things the Lord, the Lord has been pressing into me. The Lord has been, been convicting me. I think these two things are things that, that we need to consider today as we enter 2018, two weeks in. Two things that we need to take serious this year. John 14, I'm going to start in verse 12. Here Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believe in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Imagine hearing this from Jesus. You have watched him heal the sick. You have watched him raise the dead. You have seen him bring sight to the blind, make lame people walk. You saw Jesus walk on water in the middle of a raging storm out in a small boat on the Sea of Galilee. You saw Jesus with two words, silence the wind, stop the waves. You've seen his miracles, his, his teaching. You've seen, you've seen demons run from him in fear. You saw him feed 5,000 men plus women plus children with some little kid and a sack lunch. And now, Jesus, you're telling us that somehow we are going to do greater works than you? If you heard somebody say that, 
Like, like I, was gonna, I am going to do greater works than Jesus. They're nuts, right? You can't take that serious, right? There's, there's no way that you can believe that. But this is what Jesus is telling us the disciples. Not just the 12. He, he's speaking actually to, to whoever believe. He, he's, he's speaking to us. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Like how many trulys do we need before we believe it's true? Like one truly, is that enough? Two trulys, is that enough? Truly, truly, I say to you, this is red letter. This is Jesus speaking to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believe in me will also do the works that I do. Like I get that. I don't have a problem with that. But the second part, and greater works than these will he do? What does this mean? What what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying that that you will do more miraculous works, more spectacular works. That's not what he's saying. Don't go home and, and try to walk on water. Well, it's pretty cold today. Maybe you could. But, but Jesus is saying, you will do more works, like, like multiplied works, that, that you will actually do more ministry in your lifetime than him, that his works will, will go out, they will carry further and wider and deeper, have the potential to impact even more people than Jesus. See, when Jesus took on his, his humanity, he humbled himself, had to give up certain aspects of his divinity. Jesus limited himself to a physical human body, fully God, fully man, but he was limited to being in the physical body. He wasn't all places at all times with all people. He, he isolated himself to a very small region, the region of Galilee, with, with just a few people. He restricted himself to being present only in the moment and the space and the place and the time that he, he physically was in his, his human form. So Jesus spent most of his life, his, most of his ministry with his disciples in this small region of Galilee. But here, here, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is preparing them for when he leaves them, when he goes to the Father. This is after the resurrection. This is after the ascension of Jesus. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, when I go to the right hand of the Father in heaven, I'm going to transcend all things. I'm going to know all things, see all things, hear all things. I will have the power to rule and to reign over all things. See, he's no longer limited to just a, a small space, a small place with just a few people. No, he's, he is ruling over all. So here, Jesus is, is setting up. He's preparing his disciples. These are the ones who are going to take on and continue his work, his ministry, and he's telling them, you will do even greater works than I. 2,000 years later, we, we've inherited this promise. Jesus wants to do even greater works through us. How is that possible? Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Jesus is speaking. This is, this is really important. This I will do. Who, who is the one who will actually accomplish and do the greater works? 
Jesus. Well, how can he do that? Because he's ascended to heaven at the right hand of, of God the Father in heaven, has the power to rule and reign and act over all things. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Why? That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wait, wait, who will do it? Jesus. If you ask me anything in my name for my name's sake, I will do it. See, see, greater works are possible only because Jesus is the one who actually accomplishes these greater things. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. We're just a fisherman. Like, we're, we're not trained for this. Like, we're not qualified to do this, Jesus. Are you kidding? Are you serious? Matthew's like, I was a tax collector. Do you know what that means? Do you know my, do you know my past? Do you know what I used to do? They're like, we're just, we're just construction workers. We're just carpenters. Like, like Jesus, are you serious that you're going to leave us and somehow we are going to do greater works than you? Yeah. See, this, this statement, ask me anything and I will do it, is, is so outrageous. We don't take it serious. But prayer is what unleashes these greater works these greater works that, that Jesus does through us. See, one of the reasons we don't take this passage serious is because this whole name it and claim it. Like, like we don't take it serious because Jesus is not saying here just, hey, Jesus, uh, hey, help me out here. Um, give me the, the Powerball number so I can win the, jock, the jackpot. Hey, hey, Jesus, give me some health and wealth and peace and, and prosperity and, and blessings and, and puppies. That's not what Jesus is, is saying here. Ask me anything and I will do it. See, we, we don't take this serious in prayer. So instead, we, we are, we're overly cautious. We are, we are careful. This is too outrageous. And so we, we pray wimpy, puny, small prayers adding on, God, if it's your will, be done. No, no. God's will is greater works. God's will is the ministry that he wants to accomplish through us. God's will are the things that he has the power to rule and reign over all, that he can extend his kingdom through us. Doing the greater works of Jesus in the name of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, is what brings glory to the Father. And this is exactly what the Father wants. See, more than anybody, he wants to see the great commission fulfilled. He wants to see his, his church being built. He, he wants to see uh, people making disciples, going to all of the nations, because that's his mission. That's his purpose. And he knew he couldn't do that himself. Jesus couldn't do that himself. He had to multiply himself through his disciples and through us to accomplish these greater works. That's not our credit. We're just the vessel. We're, we're just the instrument. This is God working through us to bring glory to the Father in the name of Jesus. And all of this begins with prayer. Harvest the first thing that you should do this year. If you need something to do, and a lot of us do, 
pray. Pray for Jesus to do greater works through you. What is one thing? What is one ministry opportunity? What, what, what is one thing by faith you can step out praying to God, asking for him to show up and to do a work through you? What is one thing that you're not doing this for God, you're, you're doing this with God, partnering with the work of Jesus? What is one thing that you can bring glory to the Father? One thing that's a part of his mission, that's a part of his kingdom. Harvest, what is one thing this year? Start praying about it. Tomorrow, pray for it. This week, be praying for it. Believing firmly in the power of prayer because Jesus loves to accomplish and answer these kinds of prayers. Things that bring glory to the Father. We we, we can't just talk about prayer. We, We need to pray. That's how it works. Hey, join with me. Let's harvest. Let's, let's, let's pray. God, today, you are building and launching your church in Haiti. God, that's something that only you can do. <laughs> but for some reason, you allow people like us to be part of it. God, help us not to be passive. Help us not to sit back. Lord, give us a faith to be involved, to be giving, to be growing. Lord, to be going. Lord, I pray this year that we would be going to Haiti, to St. Vincent, to Scotland, to Guatemala. God, that you'd be sending us around the world as ambassadors for you, carrying your message, taking the fame of your name into the nations. Lord, Reign your glory upon these places. God, I pray for right here. Lord, I pray for hundreds of people this year will come to know you and experience you, receive you in Avon, in Brownsburg, Danville, Pittsburgh, Plainfield, Indianapolis. God, be doing a work that only you can do Have your spirit moving in this place, moving through people like us. That means, God, bring one person into my life this year. God, bring me one person. Give me favor with this person. Lord, help me not to wimp out. Give me the courage. Lord, give me the words. Lord, help me to share about Jesus. Lord, help me to tell my story, even the parts that are messy, to bring hope. Healing to people who are hurting. God, get me off the bench. Use me. God, I pray that you'd be doing a work that only you can do. God, that graciously you'd be working through us as we partner with you for your kingdom, for your mission, for your glory. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. We don't take that lightly. Help us to take that seriously. Praise in your name. Amen. Harvest, first thing to be doing this year, pray. Pray that God will be doing a work, that Jesus will be doing greater works through you. Number two, know the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. 
Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. One of my goals for this year, 2018, is to complete uh, my pastoral ordination. A big part of that is, is writing this, uh, this, this big paper on, on what I believe, uh, wrestling with doctrines, taking positions on theology, and then defending it. So back in September, I started writing just a couple hours a week just when I had time. And, and, and page one and two, the doctrine of God, the existence of God, the character of God, the nature, the attributes of God, trying to wrestle with the, the Trinity, God's plan of redemption and salvation, history. Page three, the, the Bible, the authority, the inerrancy, the infallibility of God's word. Page four, sin and our human condition. Well, God created Adam and Eve and he, he freely gave them capacity to choose and, and they chose to sin against God. They wanted to be like God. So God banished them from the garden, separating them away from the presence of, of him. And, and we have inherited this sin condition. It's been passed down through offspring. Page five and six, the only hope that we have is Jesus. He was born to a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, paid the penalty for our sins. It's through his atoning sacrifice, his substitution on the cross, Jesus stood in my place, and it's because of his righteousness I can be reconciled with God. Everything was going really well until I got to page seven, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. See, I can tell you about God the Father I can tell you about Jesus the Son, but the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, that's a little bit harder. I think there's two extremes when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Some people are, are obsessed with the Holy Spirit and others tend to, to forget about the Holy Spirit. And if I'm honest, I am much more like someone who forgets about the Holy Spirit if I'm really honest, I think I treat the Holy Spirit a lot like I treat my appendix. Like, like I know I'm supposed to have one. I know it's somewhere here. I'm not really sure what it does. I'm not really sure why I have it. How many of us can relate that we tend to forget and diminish and, right, the Holy Spirit? It wasn't until a couple years ago where I had appendicitis and my appendix was about to burst that I ever care or think about my appendix. Since it's been removed, I haven't missed it. <laughs> I met with Dr. John before my surgery and I was talking to him. If God gave me an appendix, is it okay to take it out? Like, is this like some extra add-on organ? Like, why do we have it? What is it? John's the best doctor I have ever had. I don't think he knew the answer. Why do we have this? And yet, man, we're guilty. We treat on a daily basis the Holy Spirit probably more like our appendix than the presence of God in us. 
I love December. In December, we, we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. But the other 11 months of the year, we tend to forget God is in us. John 16, verse 7, same conversation Jesus is having with his disciples. This is the farewell discourse. He's, he's teaching them of what, what they can expect, what's going to happen when he leaves. Same conversation. A couple chapters later, John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Okay, truly, truly. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. What? It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And one conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, he tells them, you will do even greater works than me. And in fact, it's to your advantage that I leave. It's actually better for me to leave because when I do, I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you, who will be in you. See, these promises go together. These two things that we should be doing, they, they go together because God can only work through us because God is in us. That's how it works. That God can work through us to accomplish the greater things for his glory because God is living within us. See, he's given us the Holy Spirit who is our helper. When Jesus was about to ascend to, to heaven, he told his disciples, don't do anything, just wait. Like, don't lift a finger, don't do anything, just wait. So for 10 days, the disciples waited. They did nothing. 10 days later, the day of Pentecost, Acts says the Holy Spirit came rushing in like a mighty wind, literally like, like a tornado, like falling on the disciples, filling the disciples, dwelling in the disciples, who then went out with boldness and courage, sharing Jesus, proclaiming the name of him, doing greater works, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's 40 miracles in the book of Acts. 39 of them happen outside of the church. That's where God's spirit is moving. That's where God's spirit is working authenticating the gospel, the message of these eyewitnesses of Jesus, which has now been passed on and inherited by us. Back to John 14. John 14, verse 7. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. Harvest, do you know the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking, do you know about the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? In Greek, there's, there's two words for know. There's the word oida, which means to know, to know facts, to know data, to know inf information. This is like Wikipedia, like just to know about something. And there's the word gnosko, the word gnosko means to, to internalize, to, to know something through your experiences. The same word is used twice in verse 17. Which one do you think it is? That we are to know 
information about the Holy Spirit or experience the Holy Spirit? Gnosko. The world cannot see or experience the Holy Spirit, but you experience the Holy Spirit because he dwells with you and will be in you. And right about now, everyone who grew up Baptist is getting a little bit nervous. <laughs> see, we're open but cautious, but really that just means we're cautious. When I start talking about experiencing the Holy Spirit, we, we tend to get uncomfortable, maybe even fearful, right? See, we don't, we don't know the Holy Spirit here. Jesus assumes that we know the Holy Spirit, that we have experience. And, and some people are, are obsessed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, take it too far, take him too far, get, get way off track, get weird with the Holy Spirit. But I don't think forgetting and diminishing the Holy Spirit is any better. When Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he he talks about him not as a mystical force, not as a thing. He, he applies a pronoun, he. See, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just a doctrine. This is a person. The way that we relate to people is different. We, we might have the same friend. We might have the same friend, but we might relate to them or, or experience them or know them differently. And that's okay. What Jesus is talking about here is, do we, do we know him? Have, have we experienced the Holy Spirit presence in our lives? I mean, isn't it a little bit creepy to have the Holy Spirit like dwelling, living in you, and you don't even know him? Hey, maybe here, 2018, this is a year where you can get to know the Holy Spirit. This is a book that was really helpful for me. It's called Jesus Continued. It's by J.D. Greer. He says, why the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. It's to our advantage that we have the Holy Spirit. He's got a PhD in systematic theology. He knows what he's talking about, but he writes just so simple, so clear, so accessible. He's fun. He's engaging. He used to be a missionary. Now he's a, a pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in the U.S. And he's Baptist. But just like me, it's this realization that we have grown up in the church and I can tell you about God the Father, I can tell you about Jesus the Son, but the Holy Spirit, who is he? What does he do? Very helpful book for, for me, Jesus Continued. Two things the Lord has been challenging me this year. Now, I'm praying that we can be taking this home considering this for our life this year. I'm praying for Jesus to do a greater ministry through me, for his glory, accomplishing his works, the things that he's wanting to do. And I want to be growing. I want to be knowing the Holy Spirit living inside me. Those are two things that I want to take serious this year. Harvest, it's been 28 minutes. My sermon is done, but we're not done. 
two more things. Small groups are starting up next week. Small groups are a core part of who we are as a church, as the pastor of small groups. I'm going to take the next 10 minutes. Let's be honest, I'm going to take the next 15 minutes. <laughs> set up small groups for these next four months of, of what you're signing up for, what you can expect, and, and what we're doing. And uh, two things have been happening this year that are, are really, really cool. The first, um, we've been growing in compassion to serve others. This fall, all of our small groups went through a study in Jonah, the Jonah in us all, uh, because Jonah is probably the worst missionary ever. Jonah was selfish, self-absorbed. He had his own agenda. He, he did not have a compassion for others. And so God interrupts his life and tells him to go to Nineveh. So of course, Jonah runs in the complete opposite direction, gets on a boat, heading away from the presence of the Lord. God gets a hold of him, hurls a storm on Jonah. The sailors cast him overboard because the boat was about to break up. And then the Lord rescues Jonah through this great fish that comes up and swallows Jonah. Jonah's now in the fish taxi going back to Nineveh. The Lord spits him out and he's walking through. He's parading the streets of Nineveh. Eight words. That's his message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, you can just see like the smirk, the smug look on his face. But the people repented. It says from the greatest to the least... They're crying out to the Lord. They're repenting and mourning and believing. Even the cows are wearing sackcloths. Greatest revival in history. And so, of course, Jonah is exceedingly angry, whining to God, wanting to die. The end of Jonah finishes with him sitting on the hill overlooking the city of Nineveh, just waiting for God to show up and smoke this city. See, Jonah's got confession Jonah's telling us, because Jonah's in us all, Jonah's telling us, don't be like me. No, instead, have your, your love for God overflow into a love for others. Have compassion on others. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this fall, we challenge all of our small groups to don't be like Jonah. Go, go do something. Get involved in your neighborhood. Love your neighbors. Do some sort of service opportunity. Here's a list. Here's a list of things that our small groups did this fall. One group uh, built some outdoor steps and a railing onto a trailer home for a single woman. These guys were, were out working for a couple days in the cold and the rain. I talked to them at church. Man, they all got sick. They were, they were building these, while they were building these, these steps, the woman received a phone call. There was a crisis in her family. So, so these guys put down the hammers and go pray with her. You think that's a coincidence? A widow was moved out of her apartment and into a new home. This, this wasn't Ikea furniture. This is like the oversized, heavy, real wood, like break your back moving furniture up flights of stairs. The guy who organized this, he's a chiropractor. That raises some questions. The small groups, they, they not only moved this woman, 
They paid for the U-Haul. There was a van belonging to a single mom who had significant repairs. It was paid in full. Meals were delivered to a neighbor who went through a major surgery. Several small groups got together in the same neighborhood and hosted a block party. So cool. People showed up. They're not wearing their harvest t-shirts. No, they're coming along the small group leaders who live in this neighborhood trying to build bridges to their neighbors. Because how many of us live in neighborhoods and don't know our neighbors? That's where it starts. Open the door, have a conversation, eat a hot dog. Multiple small groups did landscaping, did raking leaves, helped with home repairs. One group uh, dropped, uh, installed a drop ceiling. Another group ran, a, ran electrical wire for a single mom. Carloads of groceries were donated to food pantries, passed out to the homeless. One carload of groceries went to a family who just received four kids from Child Protective Services. That'll change your week. Warm blankets were collected, given to an officer who handed them out to the homeless. Bags of hats and gloves and clothes were collected for families in need. One small group went around to local businesses in Brownsburg and, and had the businesses pitch in. And, and so they created 15 You Are Loved gift baskets, took them to the Brownsburg police officers to take home to their family. And these things were packed with gift cards. 50 deluxe car washes, movie tickets, concessions, coupons to restaurants, bags of chocolate. And then, and then a small group catered in 400 wings from B-dubs, 10 gallons of drinks. B-dubs was willing to appreciate the officers. So shouldn't we as a church... One small group had a pizza party, <laughs> invited families from across the street who were living in a low-income apartment. And this, this apartment it's had multiple overdoses on heroin, multiple deaths in the last couple of years. Kids have been pulled out of, of the homes by CPS. And, and the small group, they played games. They played yard games with the kids. They hung out with the parents. They just had real conversations. They're helping build bridges with, with one family who lives next door to the apartments. A pitch-in dinner was provided for residents of a nursing home. Several small groups handed out hundreds of hot dogs on Halloween in multiple neighborhoods. They passed out way too much candy to kids. This is brilliant. I mean, Halloween is the one day of the year where neighbors are actually outside walking around where neighbors who don't know you will actually walk up to your front door. Another small group provided Thanksgiving dinners for several families in need. One small group uh, brought Christmas gifts or bought Christmas gifts and went to the homes of children who have parents in prison. Mountains of shoeboxes were collected, packed, shipped, Operation Christmas Child, Child care was provided for single moms at sheltering wings so the moms could have a night out. I mean, I, I, mean, I could keep going. The list goes on. Miracles? No. But these are the greater works. See, these are the things that God wants to work through us to bring the Father glory. 
don't be like Jonah. Have compassion. Love your neighbor. So Jonah was an example of what not to do. The book of Acts, the apostles, the early church, Peter and John, they're examples of what we should do. So next week, starting in small groups, we're going to look at Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5. Jonah is in us all, but we can't stop there because the Spirit is in us all. So we're going to look at five things, Jonah, or Acts chapter 3, 4, and 5. We're going to look at five things, five things to do. And what does it look like to live intentionally? What does it look like to take every opportunity to talk about Jesus? The early church did. What does it look like to live boldly? We're going to pray for boldness. Pray that God would give us boldness. We're going to talk about what does it mean to live questionably, to, to live lives that are actually different from the world, to live lives that are set apart and holy and, and will create intrigue and arouse questions. What does it look like to live generously, that God can use our gifts to help others? What does it look like to live courageously? God, one person. Just give me one person that I can tell about you, that I can share you with. We're going to live courageously. That's the first five weeks in small groups. And then the next, uh, the next eight weeks, small group leaders chose a book. So we had three book options for our leaders to pick and choose from. All of these are, are they're, they're short, they're simple, um, very practical they all center around the theme of evangelism. The first book, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out, evangelism in a natural, relatable, even a fun way, honestly a way most of you are already doing. Second book, The Simplest Way to Change the World. This looks at biblical hospitality. And what does it look like to invite people into your life, into your home? These two books were, were written just last year this one was not. This is more of a classic, written in 1964. The Master Plan of Evangelism. Very bad title, very good book. It walks through Jesus' approach to ministry, how he ministered to the masses, discipled a few. We've got three options that, that you're going to be diving into and discussing with your small group as we are growing, as we are uh, growing in our courage to share Jesus. If you're in a small group, I, I hope this can, can equip you gives, you, gives you some things to take back to your small group next week. If, you, if you're not in a small group, why not? Be praying about that this week. Consider maybe joining one. A couple of years ago, I found out I'm actually named after an evangelist. His name is Eric Froman. He's not famous. There's no books about him. Nobody knows him. But he's the man who brought Jesus to my family. Talk about pressure, right? Being named after an evangelist? <laughs> Eric's the guy who, who brought Jesus to my great-grandfather, who was a farmer in Colorado. So my great-grandpa is out 
literally like plowing behind a team of horses and Eric shows up and he says, looks him in the eyes and says, you have been coming to church long enough. It's time to believe in Jesus. I wish I had the courage, the boldness. I don't. Lord, grow me. So right there, in the dirt, my grandpa, he, he gets down in his knees. I mean, that's a picture of repentance. Gets down in the dirt, receives Jesus. That moment changed everything in our family. So my great-grandfather then shares Jesus, passes him on to my, my grandfather, who by God's grace shares, it with, shares Jesus with my father, who by God's grace passes it on to me. And, and just, it came back to one man, Eric Froman. Changed our family. Eric Froman was an immigrant from Sweden. He had a ticket on the Titanic. The week the Titanic sailed, he got sick. So he gave up his ticket. True story. So he, he knew God's hand of mercy and grace was over him. And so from then on, his life was different. He took every opportunity to share Jesus. I think that's where the courage came from. If Eric didn't get sick, he would have been on the Titanic. The odds are he never would have made it to Colorado. He wouldn't have shared Jesus with my grandfather. Who knows what, have, what would have happened with my, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and, and us today. But, but Ephesians says, before the foundations of the world were set, God chose me, God called me, God elected me. Psalms says that before I was ever knitted together, ever conceived or created my, my mother's womb, that the Lord knew me. Romans says that, that God works all things, all things, even the sinking of ships for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. See, God could use a sickness in one man on the other side of the world to work through generations of people. That's how God works. Harvest, maybe right now, God is working. Maybe he's been working in people you don't even know, people around the world. Maybe he's been orchestrating events for generations because he has a plan. His plan is to bring people and families to saving knowledge and relationship with him. Ultimately, we know he's the one who accomplishes the work, but he does this through us. You've been equipped. You've been empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's to your advantage. You can do greater works because the Spirit is in you. He will give you the boldness. He will give you the courage. He will give you the words to share. Harvest, maybe this is a year. Maybe this is a year where God wants to use you 
to do greater works, more ministry, more compassion, more courage, stepping out in faith, trusting him. He's going to be the one who shows up and does it. God can work through you because he's in you. I think that's something we have to take serious. Let's pray. Lord, these are big things that we by ourselves cannot do. Lord, we are 100% absolutely, certainly dependent on you. Lord, be doing things to make yourself known. Lord, be doing things through us. Lord, greater things that bring you glory, things that you're pleased with, things that you have a plan for, things that that you can take our, our small, fragile, frail capacity and multiply it over and over and over for your glory. God, show up and do things. Lord, things that we're not even seeing things that are are way bigger than us. Lord, be working in our lives, growing us, stretching us, challenging us. Lord, we want to be a part of the work that you're doing. It's an awesome work. It is a huge work. It is something that, that transcends everything else in our life. God, you don't need us, but you delight in using us. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, help us by by faith to, to walk with you. Lord, go before us this year. Lord, make yourself known. Use us in the ways you see fit. And Lord, maybe we'd be quick to give you all of the glory. Lord, we pray these things, asking them in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.